Public Affairs Forum of 90.3, The Core, where we discuss issues that are important to Rutgers and the Piscataway community. I'm Chelsea Carter. This week on Core of the Matter, we're talking about housing and the lottery application at Rutgers University. This week, we're talking to Benjamin Gill, who is the Assistant Director for Housing and Residence Life. And we're just going to discuss more about what goes into the process of housing, lottery numbers, seniority points, the whole entire process of the residential life organization and how it all comes together at the end of the year, each year, and where you can live on campus. So, this is Core of the Matter. So who's a part of housing and residence life? Well, really, it's uh, we have hundreds and hundreds of employees. We range from the graduate hall directors to the residence life coordinators and residence life educators. We have the assignments office here, and there's a lot of us that work in this office. Um, it's also all the maintenance and cleaning staff that, that work in the building, um, and the upper-level administration staff as well, the assistant directors on all the campuses. So it's actually a lot of people that make up the entire department. I think we're one of the biggest departments within the university, actually. So how is housing and residence life established on campus? Essentially, we, we don't get any state money. We're not state-funded in any way at all. Um, we are one of the biggest programs in the country. I think we actually officially now have the most beds on any campus in the country since we opened the Livingston Apartments. Um, so, But, you know, we, we, we essentially uh, we, we run kind of like an auxiliary for, for, for the campus. So we, we are... F- Affiliated, of course, but there's no outside money that that helps us out. How many residential buildings are on campus? Oh, gosh, that's an excellent question. 50, 60, 70. It's a lot. Um, It's a gigantic amount of buildings. Um, You know, of course, some of them aren't open anymore, like the the College Ave quads are some buildings that are closed. Some of the rooms, the the buildings in Old Gibbons are not active anymore. Um, You know, and so... We, we hope to get those some of those spaces back online in the next couple of years, but um, it's a very large amount of buildings total. So how are the housing buildings organized in the sense of who lives in them? Sure. I mean, essentially, the regular doubles, so the regular double rooms are pretty much all freshmen. Now, not all of them, but all freshmen are essentially in double rooms. Um, obviously, we do have a lot of doubles that we hold for upperclassmen as well. Um, we try to have a mix of freshmen on every campus, of course, um, and tra- traditionally those don't change. Some areas do need to flex a little bit. Sometimes we use a house in quad three for, for freshmen or transfer students. Um, and then all the apartments that we have are obviously saved for, for upper class. And we, we do have to save some spaces for incoming transfer students, of course. We have about seven to 800 transfer students that apply every single year. Um, so we do have to hold a certain amount of spaces for them as well. So how many students are a part of housing? Total, we have the capacity for about 16,000 students, actually. Now, that includes undergraduates, graduate students, and family housing. And you got to figure, in family housing, they have husbands, wives, partners, kids that live with them as well. Um, so we have the capacity for about 16,000. Uh, we usually don't, we're usually not 100% full depending on the semester. You know, it's the, 
98% to 94%, usually somewhere in there is where our, our, our occupancy rate is at. So what are the policies for living on campus? The policies for living on campus? Sure. I mean, I mean, obviously there's, you know, the community standards office that, that kind of, which is a part of residence life, uh, that kind of sets the guidelines for living on campus as far as policy issues, legal issues, that kind of thing, you know, underage drinking, drugs, that kind of thing. Um, so if any students are caught violating policy, they essentially meet with the community standards office um, or their residence life coordinator. Um, as far as other policies, you know, really, as long as you're a full-time matriculating student here at the Rutgers New Brunswick campus, you really are eligible for housing. Um, you know, we, we do tend to, we, we only have limited amounts of family housing and graduate housing tends to sometimes be full in the fall semester. Um, but actually the past couple of years we have not turned away any undergrad students at all, even through the lottery process. So I know that the policies are probably sought through the hall directors and uh, RAs. How does that all work, that system? Well... I don't want to say that I don't know, but I'm not heavily involved in it, unfortunately. Um, I mean, essentially, that's that's the community standards and the residence life staff that kind of live right in the buildings that, that set all those standards. Um, our department was all merged together, I think it was about five or six years ago, when the university officially merged the four separate campuses. Um, so I think at that time, they had to kind of figure out, you know, what the standard policies were for the university. Um, obviously, we're not a dry campus. Um, so, you know, we're fairly liberal about that. Um, but, you know, you have to be over 21. You know, obviously we don't allow drug use of any kind. Um, so, I mean, I, you know, I think our policies are fairly in line with what the rest of the country does. So we're going to go to, like, the actual issues of, like, lottery application, okay. housing life. So how does the lottery application work? Sure. So... The lottery application opens in January, pretty much right after students return to school. And really what the lottery application is, is essentially it's a housing contract that, you know, says, um, you know, I understand this is a binding contract if I select a space on campus. So it's not activated until you actually select or are assigned a space through a special program, like the Paul Robeson program, um, the Latin Images program, you know, maybe the, the Douglas Global Village, that kind of thing. Um, so essentially the the contract doesn't become binding until you actually get a space. But really, all you're doing is telling us that you want a lottery number and that you're interested in on-campus housing. It's a pretty simple application. Um, after that, we have multiple processes that you can go through to select a space on campus. Um, you know, we kind of start with some of the special interest communities for the first couple weeks and we try to get them out of the way. Like, uh, for example, the uh, School of Arts and Sciences Honors Program, they have kind of their own building, so they go through a separate process, and we do that pretty early on. The Douglas Residential College goes at the same time. They can apply for places in the Henderson Apartments or the Jameson Doubles. Um, so we try to get those out of the way pretty early. Um, after that, we get into the apartments, which is what is going on right now, um, and students can apply for multiple apartments. We, we actually had eight applications open this morning, um, eight separate housing applications, so it was a busy day yesterday getting all that prepared. Um, so basically, students apply for uh, whatever areas they're interested in. They can apply for the Cook Apartments, the Bush Apartments, the Livingston Apartments. We actually encourage students to apply for multiple apartment applications because they really should have a backup plan. Uh, you know, don't just apply for the Livingston Apartments expecting that that's the place you're going to get. Um, it's a very popular area, and unfortunately, we just can't fit everyone who wants to live there. Um, so always make sure you have a backup plan. 
what we do in this office then is we take everybody that's applied for a certain area. We put them into eligibility order on a nice spreadsheet. We figure out how many spaces we have. And then we have to kind of determine where the cutoff is based on how many spaces are available for next year. So we never really know where the cutoff's going to be until the students actually apply, unfortunately. You know, we can kind of go back and look at the historical data and kind of have an idea, but unfortunately we can never get it right on every year until the students actually apply. So we have the apartment process. After that, we do the suites, and after that, the doubles. Um, and we always tell students that if you go all the way through the doubles process and still are not successful getting a spot on campus, we will give you priority on the waiting list, which opens April 1st. To be honest, for the past couple years, we have not had anybody apply for a double room that has not been able to select one. So when you think about it that way, we, we really have not lotteried anybody off campus. We haven't forced anyone off campus. Uh, a lot of students will make the choice, of course, if they don't get an apartment that they want, to make, they'll make the choice to go off campus, which is completely understandable. Um, but we haven't really forced anybody off. So I know that usually it sounds like SEBS goes first or that school goes first for choosing. Is that true? Yes, they have a priority selection process on the Cook campus um, that started a couple years ago. The way that, that works is they have to have a full group of four SEBS students to apply, um, and they're only applying for the Starkey and Newell apartments. And to be honest, it's a it ends up being a very small population that actually does it. We had about, I want to say, 60 students last year that chose to go through that process, and this year we had about 100 uh, like 112, I want to say. So it's a very small population that actually elects to go through it. I think because sometimes they would rather have a roommate that's not in the SEBS program, or subs, some SEBS students would rather make the choice to live on a different campus rather than stay on the Cook campus. Even though all their classes are on the Cook campus, we have found SEBS students that would rather live on the Livingston campus or the Bush campus. So I know Livingston is a big deal this year, especially with all the construction going on. So I've heard that there are no sign backs for the Livingston apartments if you already lived there this year. Is that a real issue? (laughs) (laughs) Well, actually, we don't have any sign backs at all anymore. We had sign backs years ago. And it, it, no, I was not working here when they had sign sign backs uh, completely, but you know, some of the issues that we found was students that were selling spaces in their apartments. Um, we found, really, what, what we found is that there were no real apartments available for selection because they were all being signed back to. So unless you had a friend that was already in an apartment for the next year, you really had no chance of getting one at all. So they started scaling back the sign-back process um, for, o- o- over the past couple of years. I think it was two years ago we did the top 10% of lottery numbers um, we were able to sign back, and last year I think it was the top 6 or 7%. The issues that we found is that the students that were in that top 10, 10%, most of them were making the choice to not sign back because they would simply use their lottery number to get a different space on campus. Um, you know, they, they didn't want to go back to the regular apartment. They wanted to try to get an Easton Avenue apartment instead, which kind of makes sense. Uh, this year, since we moved to the seniority process rather than the regular lottery process, it kind of made sense that we really just can't do signbacks anymore. The lottery number actually matters a lot less than it used to. Uh, now it's kind of more the seniority points that really matter heavily. So because of that, really, there are no more sign signbacks at all. So unfortunately, it does mean that there are some students that are in the Livingston apartments now who 
won't be eligible to live there next year. Kind of an unfortunate side effect, of course, but you know I think that that does tend to happen every year where students are in a space and you know they they don't get a good number or have enough points to return to that space next year. So I know this is important, which I should have asked earlier, but how do you get the lottery number? Because I'm telling <laughs> you, every year my lottery number's like been in ten thousands or something, and I, I don't even know how I got the number. Well, I'll apologize because that was probably my fault. Essentially what I do is I use a program that just assigns random numbers to students. We have a system that we use. It's called the Odyssey Housing Management System. It's made by Seaboard. Um, it's a very, very powerful computer program that essentially manages our entire housing assignments process. So when you go fill out an application, uh, we use the program on the back end to design the applications, to build the applications, put in the web copy, and make all the fields that you're filling out. And we do that here in this office. And we have hundreds of applications that we do throughout throughout the year. Um, it ends up being a lot of work. But for the actual lottery numbers, all we do is we take um, all the students that have applied. It's roughly 12,000. I think it's actually almost 13,000 this year. We take all the students that applied for a lottery number, um, and then we essentially just assign them a random number between one and, uh, you know, however many students have, have applied. If there's 13,000 students, we give out that, that many lottery numbers. So it, it, really it is completely random. It's not based on anything. It's a, it's a completely random number that we, that we generate for the, for the students. Um, so, yeah, sorry if your number has been so high over the past couple of years. You can blame me for that. Okay. No <laughs> hard feelings here. So... I know that seniority points seem to be a big factor now, more so than the lottery numbers, which that's what I thought was a big issue at first was the lottery number was the one to determine, like, how you got housing. But it seems like seniority points are more so now. So are the seniority points of what I heard are based on how many credits you have? Is that true or is it some other system? Essentially, yes. Uh, the seniority points do matter a lot more than the lottery number. The way you get points, I have my little cheat sheet over here on my bulletin board that I'm going to grab, actually. Um, we actually have to base it on your class year. So really, it depends on when you're graduating. Um, so for example, if you are graduating in the year 2013 or 2014, so you'd probably be a December graduate uh, coming up this year or a May graduate of 2014, for the apartment process, you'll have four seniority points. So we're not giving any extra points to those that are graduating in December, um, you know, or maybe they're deciding to take up an extra minor suddenly and come back next fall. Um, so we're not giving them any extra points, if that makes sense. And then it kind of goes down from there. Those, those graduating in 2015 uh, get three points, 2016, two points, um, and then the few 20, 2017 students that, that we have get one point. Yes, we do have students graduating in 2017. We have some freshmen just, that just came in in January. So, you know, that, that's what we have to base it on, is that year that you will graduate, essentially. And then for the doubles and suites, you essentially reverse that process. So if you're a 2013 or 2014, rather than four points that you have for the apartment, you now have just one point for the suites. So what, what we try to do is give the current freshman class um, going into their sophomore year a priority selection for the doubles and suites. This is Core of the Matter the Public Affairs Forum of 90.3 The Core, where we discuss issues that are important to Rutgers and the Piscataway community. I'm Chelsea Carter, and this week on Core of the Matter, we're talking about how
housing and lottery applications and the whole process that takes place during the semester. We are speaking with Benjamin Gill, who is the Assistant Director for Housing and Residence Life Administration on campus. So, we will be talking more about housing process, what goes into it, how graduate students and undergraduate students are all intertwined with this process. So, here is more Core of the Matter. I've heard this before. Say if you were a student here already, but then you went to a different school for like a semester or something because probably you didn't have enough money or it was an issue, and you came back to Rutgers, and you say you're graduating in uh, May 2014, and you're somewhat considered a senior for the following year, but your credits don't add up to you being a senior. So you have like three seniority points? How does that work? Well, you know, again, it all depends on what your class year is with the registrar. You know, sometimes students, you know, if you start getting ahead in your classes and you do earn more credits, you know, and you realize that you can graduate early, you can actually update your class year. Um, and we'll catch that and we will say, okay, you know, you have suddenly, yes, you do have more sen- more seniority points now because you have essentially earned more credits and kind of gotten ahead a little bit. Um, at the same time, if you fall behind, you know, the reverse can, can, can happen, of course. So, so yeah, I mean... Unfortunately, we, we had to choose a system to make this happen. And, uh, you know, the class year does sort of revolve around how many credits you have earned. Um, so that's what we decided to use. So I know you mentioned before that there's um, housing for actual families mm-hmm. to live on campus. Are those here on the Bush campus? Because I know there are apartments that are around the bend in Bush that I really don't know who lives there. But... Are those for housing for family that are huge, like actual family, working families? Uh, yes. I mean, the family housing, now the trick is they still have to be Rutgers students. Um, now, most of them are going to be graduate students. They're Ph.D. students. They're master's students. You know, and they, they have their families with them. Um, I would say about 80% of our graduate students come from overseas, um, and many of them will bring their family and children with them. So, so yeah, we have a... We do have all the family housing is on the Bush campus, though. We don't have family housing anywhere else. It's all on the Bush on the Bush campus. So if you kind of walk around and you see, like, some kids' toys lying around in certain apart- apartment areas, um, I think we have a playground out there as well. That's, that's the family housing area. So I know you, before you had mentioned special interest housing, has that been an issue in the past where people say that they can't get doubles anywhere else and they register for special housing and then realize that they really didn't know what came with special like interest housing so i know that's happened to people that i know before because i live in special interest housing and i know people moved into the floor and didn't know what was expected about living on a special interest floor Sure. I mean, especially when it comes to first-year and transfer students, we, we try to explain it as best we can within the housing application. For example, Demarest Hall and College, College Avenue. We, we do put a lot of information about that hall right in the application. So we have web links that go to the Demarest information page that explains all the study sections, all that kind of stuff. But sometimes they get there and they realize that it's just not for them. Um, you know, it's just not a community that, that they really want to take part in. Maybe, maybe they don't have time for it. In some cases, they don't know that, that there's an extra class that they have to take to be a part of that community. So we do try to explain it as best we can. Unfortunately, 
not all the students have a true understanding of what it means to be a part of that community. Um, we tend to figure that out in the first couple of weeks of school, and then if students need to move elsewhere, assuming we have space, we can try to remove them from the community and place and place them elsewhere if that's what they want. So has there been really any huge issues that arise out of the whole housing process? Unfortunately, what I've learned in my years being here is that you can't make everybody happy, unfortunately. You know, we've, for, for the past couple, couple of years, we've had students really, students have been asking us to institute some sort of a seniority system. So that was the feedback we kept, kept getting as we wanted to be seniority-based. So last year, we actually made up this process, and we, and we implemented it this year. We, we almost uh, decided to do it last year. We decided to hold off one more year and then do it, do it this year. Um, and some of the feedback we've gotten has been great. And other feedback has been not so great. I think it just depends on who you talk to. Um, you know, the current freshman class uh, now has less of a chance of getting an apartment than they would have had last year, of course. The current junior class has a much greater chance, so they might be a little bit happier. Uh, so it really just depends on who you, who you talk to. At the same time, those same freshmen right now that are thinking, wow, I don't really have a chance of getting an apartment like I used to have, maybe. Uh, you know, a year from now, they're going to be saying, well, now my chances are much greater at getting an apartment. Um, so, you know, we, we try to have the fairest system possible. Uh, it will never make everybody happy, unfortunately. It's just one of those things. So, I know that you said there hasn't been a wait listed so far, but what takes place in the waitlisted process? Sure. So the waiting list opens up in April. And some students that go on the waiting list are just students that plain old forgot about the lottery process. Maybe they thought they were going to live off campus and their plans fell through. They couldn't get an apartment, so they now need a place on campus. You know, if students just don't select a space on campus through the lottery process, um, you know, then they can fill out the waiting list. We have a much smaller waiting list than we've had in the past because in past years we didn't allow students that lived off campus to take part in the, in, in the lottery. We would actually require that they go through the waiting list process. Now we allow them to just go through the waiting list because we have enough space um, on, on campus for pretty much everybody now. But essentially what, what the waiting list is is students apply April 1st um, and what we do is we go through the list of students, maybe it's three or 400 students long, and we start making room offers to them. Um, so we use the preferences that the students give us. So, for example, if you um, ranked your campuses, you know, Bush campus number one and then the Livingston campus number two, and you're asking for an apartment or a suite, um, what we'll do is we will see where the vacancies are, and then we make a specific room offer out to the students. So maybe we would say we have a space in Judson 105. And the student then has a chance to go in and either accept or decline the offer. If they accept the offer, great. Essentially, that at that point, it's a contract. Uh, they let us know. They fill out the quick web form, and they're all set. We just go ahead and assign them. Um, if they say, no, uh, I want to be removed from the list, some students fill out the waiting list application and decide they really don't want them on campus, we'll just take, take them off the list. Or they can say no and we'll keep them on the list and just move them to the bottom. Uh, and they'll probably get another offer in a month or so. We tend to make offers every, every uh, around every week. And with the computer system that we have, we are much faster at making offers than we used to be. We can now do 100 offers in a day where it used to take us 100 offers in a week. So I know that some students have been living off campus. Well, a good majority of them live off campus or commute. Is it hard for them to reapply for 
housing on campus after they've been living off campus? Sure. Actually, the process now is no different from if you're living on campus. Now, years ago, they would have had to go through the waiting list because once you moved off campus, essentially, you were off and you could not take part in the lottery process. Once we built the Livingston Apartments, which is about 1,500 beds, we realized that essentially we have enough space now and we can fit everybody. So we made the decision to really just allow them to fill out the lottery application and just apply with the rest of the students that live on campus. Um, we got a lot of really positive feedback from that from the students that lived off campus. Maybe they were commuting and they wanted to make the decision to come back on campus. Um, so we had a lot of people that, that, that were pretty excited about it. Um, and at the same time, it makes our waiting list much smaller in the spring. Um, so really, they just go ahead and they apply for a lottery number in January. I make sure we try to advertise on the commuter listserv, so we try to let them know as best we can that, that they can go go ahead and apply and what all the uh, deadlines are. So I think we did majority of the lottery application applying for housing in general. Is there anything that I might have skipped over or something that's important about the lottery application? Because I know there's information that I don't know <laughs> that you probably know. Sure. I mean, a couple important things to, re to remember. Always, always, always have a backup plan. We had a lot of students last year who only applied to the, li to the Livingston Apartments because it's that nice, new, shiny area where everybody wants to live. We had thousands and thousands of applicants last year for just not that many spaces, unfortunately. So a very small percentage can actually fit in there. Um, and I expect the same thing to happen this year. So... What I would tell students is make sure that they have a backup plan. Apply for the Bush Apartments. Apply for the Cook Apartments. Um, we still have Rockoff Hall this year. Uh, there's a lot of rumors out there that Rockoff Hall is shutting down. It's no longer a part of Rutgers. To be honest, we don't own the building. That's owned by a private company. We contract with that company to essentially uh, fill the building and help manage the building with the resident assistance, but that's not owned by Rutgers at all. We still have a contract with the company for one more year, um, and that's kind of up for review every year. So I don't, I don't know what will happen past this year, but we definitely still have it for the 2013-2014 school year. So yes, Rockoff is still in the mix, and I would definitely encourage students. That's one of the areas where, at least for the past couple of years, Everybody that's applied to Rockoff has been able to select a space in Rockoff. So that's one of those areas where if you really, really want an apartment and you're not sure how else to get one, um, you know, apply for Rockoff too. The Cook Apartments really just apply for mul multiple backup plans. In fact, you can fill out every single apartment application. That won't make me mad in any way, shape, or form. Go ahead and do it. I would encourage you to do it, actually. Um, you know, you can go ahead and make a four-person group for each apartment type. You can apply for the three-bedroom rock-off, the two-bedroom in Livingston. Apply for everything. The other tip I'll throw out there, because of the new seniority system, make sure you have a full group. So what I mean by that is don't apply for a Livingston apartment. Don't, don't apply for a Livingston four-bedroom apartment as a group of two. We will let you do it, of course. You're welcome to apply, but honestly, you probably simply won't have enough seniority points. Um, to get a spot there. Uh, even the Bush Apartments, you can apply as a group of two, but your chances of actually becoming eligible for an apartment are now severely diminished because you only have two student seniority points to add up. So make a full group when you apply. Um, you know, we don't require it, but we highly recommend it. I know some of my friends have actually been trying to figure out the whole seniority points as well as the lottery numbers and trying to make the groups and trying to figure out what 
works best for everyone and if they don't get the apartments then what's the next step and if they don't get those apartments what that's next step so it's it's been kind of frustrating on our part trying to figure it out because you want to live with friends and then if you can't get those friends to live with you then you have to find somewhere else to live or live in a dorm which most people don't want to do as seniors so they try to live off campus so i know it's a big process so i think we're done with the housing part of it (laughs) (laughs) no there's a lot that goes into it so i know that the livingston apartments have been a big success so far will they be completely finished by next year like the bottom portion of the apartments because i even heard that some people moved into their apartments earlier in the beginning of the year and some of the construction work was still being done or pieces have been falling apart or whatever. So right. can you tell me a little bit more about that? Uh, sure. Our, our graduate students move in earlier than the undergraduate students. Some of them actually moved in on August 1st. Um, and portions of the building were still under construction. We made it a point to finish their rooms and make sure it was safe for them to move in. Uh, you know, we had to have the certificate of occupancy, of course. But yes, we did have some students move in almost a full month earlier than the undergraduate students. As far as the building underneath, the retail spaces, um, I know Qdoba opened up. Um, I had lunch there a couple weeks ago. It was great. Um, And I believe the movie theater just opened recently. I haven't been yet, but I've heard it's awesome. So I need to go check that out. Uh, Other spaces should be opening during the spring semester. I know there's a fresh grocer coming, I think it's called, and there's a Starbucks coming. Um, So there's going to be a lot of spaces that, that that should be opening soon. Uh, by next fall, everything should be up and running for sure. Um, all those re- retail spaces are done. So really, we had to make sure that the construction group focused more on the student rooms that we was actually ready for move-in than spending their time focusing on the retail spaces because it was more important that the student bedrooms were finished and that people had a place to sleep um, you know, than it was to make sure the movie theater was completely ready. So you know, we, we, we were able to do that. We were kind of un, under the gun, but we got, we got the building open. So yes, by next fall, everything should be done and ready to go, um, if not sooner, to be honest. This is Core of the Matter, the public affairs forum of 90.3 The Core, where we discuss issues that are important to Rutgers and the Piscataway community. I'm Chelsea Carter, and this week on Core of the Matter, we're discussing the whole housing and lottery application process and what really goes into all of it. We've been talking to Benjamin Gill, who is the assistant director for housing and residence life administration. So... Here is more Core of the Matter. Are the graduate students and those that have families that are probably master's, PhD students, do they have priority housing before everyone else? They actually go through a completely separate process uh, from the undergraduate process. They don't fill out lottery applications or anything else. They have a completely separate process. Um, some of the families that are here, they never go home. They're here year-round. Um, they sign year-round contracts, and they'll come back year to year. Um, I mean, essentially, this is their full-time home because they don't have anywhere else to go. And even some of the regular grad students that are not in family housing, they, they do the same same thing. They're here year-round. So actually, we, we will have students in the Livingston apartments over the summer in the graduate area. So they go through a completely separate process. At the same time, their housing is separated from the undergraduate housing. So graduate students, they can... They can sign back to their spaces, assuming that they're not going anywhere o- over the summer. They can uh, elect to, re- to return to their space if, if they want to. They can elect to move to a different space within. And really the reason we can do that is because we can fit all of the graduate students in. 
Um, you know, we don't we don't have to have that big crazy lottery process. At the same time, all of our graduate housing is pretty much the same. Everyone gets their own bedroom in graduate housing, you know, so you're not sharing a bedroom with everyone else and everyone's in an apartment. So it's a little bit different from our undergraduate process. So because the apartments are open year round and they can people who actually live in there can come in and out as they please, has that been a problem? over the years since they can stay here during the winter, stay here over the summer and spring break and all that? No, to be honest, not at all. Um, you know, the, the only issue we sometimes run into is at the end of their contract, if they're moving out and someone else is moving in the next day, kind of making sure we try to get a cleaning crew in there to clean it. You know, that's the only issue we ever really run into. Other than that, you know, it's, it hasn't been a, prob- a problem at all. So what was the whole implementation process behind getting the new Livingston apartments? Well, to be honest, I'm not too familiar with it. Uh, you know, a, a building of that size, of that cost, you know, obviously it's in the, you know, it's well over $100 million for a building that size. It's a very large contract, so that ends up, you know, we have a whole team uh, that, that works for the, for the department that runs all the financials. Um, you know, you, you have to get a bond on a building like that. Think of it as like a mortgage on your house. That's essentially what it is, just a much larger mortgage. So you have to kind of figure out, you know, how big of a bond you need, you know, what what the building income is, you know, keeping in mind that we're not getting any outside money from the state. So there are no tuition dollars going to this at all. So really, we have a whole team behind that. You know, you have to go from the design phase all the way through to the construction phase. And that process takes years and years and years. It's a very long, long process. Um, And a lot of people work very, 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 very hard to make that happen. I'm not too heavily involved in it, of course, um, but you know I know a little, little bit about what they had had to go through, and I think that process actually started before I was even working for for, for uh, Rutgers. So I know College Avenue is supposed to be getting new apartments. I really wish they were here before I was going to leave, but how is that coming along? That's correct. I know that much. Uh, to be honest. That's pretty much as much as I know. Um, I, I know that we're kind of in the phase right now where they're looking at designs, um, you know, are you know looking at architects and kind of figuring out what the design of the building is actually going to be. I think that's gone through a couple different iterations of designs. Once they figure out exactly how they want the building to look, what the layout that they want, you know, then they have to actually hire the architecture firm to figure out exactly what they're going going to, to look like and, you know, then eventually starting the construction. I, I, I honestly think that's probably still years away, but unfortunately I'm just not in the know on that kind of stuff. I know the university has been trying to make it seem as if they're making Livingston the new central location for everything. Is there a reason as to why? I mean, I know they built a new dining hall, now the living apartments are there every retail place underneath is going to be brand new so it seems like they're moving forward to have that the central location is there groundbreaking it seems like the business school is there too so it seems like there's all this groundbreaking new environment is there a reason for that uh you know i'm not really sure i i can tell you that years ago when i started working here a lot of students really didn't want to be on the livingston campus at all they would avoid it. They didn't want to be there. The freshman class coming in simply did not want to live on the, on that campus. Once the new dining hall opened, though, it completely changed. 
and everybody wanted to be there. Um, so it was interesting how quickly it flipped from going to, you know, from the campus that people really didn't want to live on to now the campus that everyone wants to to, to live on. You know, I, th- I think part of it is we have the space there. It's a very large campus, and there's still a lot of room there. Um, there's still a lot of open, vacant land. So I, I do think we'll see more construction there in the next couple of years, um, just based on the amount of available land that we have. College Ave is a wonderful campus, but unfortunately, space is kind of at a premium since it's pretty much almost all been, been filled. Um, so that's kind of a campus that we can kind of call the up-and-coming campus just because of the potential of the space that we have. I think each campus sort of has its own unique identity, though, which I think is great. Um, you know, B- the Bush campus does kind of have more of that science focus. All the science buildings are here. Um, you know, we have part of the medical school over here in this campus. Uh, I think College Avenue will always kind of be that traditional college campus. It has that kind of more traditional feel, um, and a lot of people like that. Uh, you know, the Cook Douglas campus, uh, you know, has... Uh, you know that's where the Seb students go. It's got it's got the farm. It's kind of got the outdoor feel. Uh, you know, you've got the nice pond to walk around. So I think every single campus has its own unique community and unique feel to it, um, which I think is really 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 neat. I've, I've worked at a lot of big universities, which is kind of just one campus, and you don't really get that. So so here I think you kind of get the best of both worlds in a way. So has Rutgers ever thought about purchasing houses that are behind College Avenue to? have students live in or to make the process easier to find housing instead of trying to figure out between apartments, dorm life, commuting, trying to find houses on their own? Uh, I mean, as far as the university purchasing houses for students to live in, so you, you mean like houses that are current off-campus housing? I, I, I would probably say no. I, I think if the university was going to buy houses, you know, again, I don't, I don't really know, but I can say most universities that are in the position that, Rut- that Rutgers is in, if they're going to buy private houses, it's not to put students in them. It's so they can buy the land to build some- something else on. It's because they want an academic building there, um, and they want to purchase that land to build something. I know when I worked at the University of Connecticut, they actually had first right to buy any houses that were next to the university that went up for sale by private individuals. So they would buy them. Um, in the hopes that eventually maybe they get a nice little city block out of it where they can build an academic building years down down the road. So really, they're kind of looking at a grand master plan when they when they do that. Um, you know, as far as what goes on here at Rutgers, I'm not too terribly familiar, but I don't think we would buy houses to put students in, if that makes sense. So I heard, I'm not sure if this is true, that they were trying, or they had asked, the fraternities and sororities who live on College Avenue to, if they wanted to, move onto Livingston campus? Um, I'm not too terribly familiar with it, to be honest. Um, I, I do know a lot of universities do have um, kind of fraternity and sorority housing, and we don't really have any of that here. But I, I, I have seen at other universities some uh, great places that the on-campus housing can, can build nice new houses, um, you know, kind of a Greek village in a way. Um, so I have seen some schools, some schools do some pretty neat stuff around that. You know, as far as whether or not that's, that's in the cards here, I, I just don't know. Probably something that's been explored a little bit. Um, you know, I guess it probably depend on student interest and, you know, a lot of other, other factors. So... I'm not sure if this is true either, but I've heard that Demarest and the Quadrangle that's on College Avenue might be bulldozered over and rebuilt 
brand new, which some people do have problems with because Demarest and the Cobb Jangle are kind of historical places on College Avenue. So are they going to knock them down or are they going to stay? <laughs> uh, to be honest, that's the first time I've heard that one. Uh, so no, that to, to my knowledge, I have not heard that at all. What students might be referring to are the College Ave quads, as we call them, uh, which is Hageman, Loop, Wessels, and Pell, those four buildings, which are kind of next to Demarest. They have that nice old building feel, which is important, I think, for a college campus that's this old to have. You know, when you have buildings like Old Queens, you, know, you don't want to just knock a building like that down. It's got a lot of history. And the same goes for those, those buildings. They are closed right now, as you probably know. There are no students that live there. Um, they, we haven't had students on the third floor for the past couple years. And then this year, they just closed the buildings completely. Uh, the plan is to undergo renovations for them. So they'll be renovating the inside of the building. So the outside facade will still retain that nice old building feel. Um, and what they'll do is they'll go through the inside and redo as much as they possibly can. Um, you know, hopefully not just a coat of paint, but, you know, think redo some floors, ceilings, bathrooms. Um, you, know, you know, sometimes, you know, de- depending on the building, they may or may not be able to go and start taking out walls and redoing the layout. That can sometimes get, get tough. But they will definitely reopen at some point. You know, it might be 2015, something along those, those lines. Um, but the plan is to do renovations. I don't know when they're going to start. I know they haven't started yet, but they should be starting within the next year. I know that if you live in the Libby Apartments or before, I think it was New Gibbons as well, I believe, on Cook Douglas, that you have co-ed living style arrangements. And I want to know why that is because I'm not sure that's implicated otherwise in other places such as like Rock Off or Easton Ave Apartments. Sure. No, you're right. We, we, we do have mixed gender housing. Um, that was something we started a couple years ago. The students seem to really, really want it as an option. The interesting thing is that the percentage that actually take it is surprisingly small. Um, for the most part, most of the students still elect to do a single-gender apartment. We do have mixed-gender or gender-neutral, as we call it, in a few areas. One is we have a small floor in New, in New Gibbons where we have mixed-gender housing, and what they did there is they actually redid the bathroom so that the, the bathroom is on a card swipe system, much like the front door to the building, um, and that's actually a mixed-gender bathroom. Um, so there's doors on the showers, that kind of thing. They kind of make it a little bit more private for the students once you're inside the bathroom. Um, and then we have the second floor of Demarest, which is kind of the same thing as New Gibbons. We haven't had many students actually go for the, gen- for the gen- gender-neutral option up there, uh, but it is an option. Um, the other area is the rock-off three-bedroom apartments. When it comes to the apartments, the general rule is if students have the ability to have their own bedroom, then we're okay with it being gen- gender neutral. Um, so in rock-off hall, the top three floors are single-gender three-bedroom apartments. Um, so we allow it there. Now, those are annual contract only, so it's a little bit different from a regular apartment. Um, and in the Livingston apartments... Um, that was kind of designed from the beginning to sort of have that option. And because all students have their own bedroom, we essentially just allow students to have a mixed-gender apartment there as well. Now, the trick is is that if you have two males and two females in an apartment and one female decides to go on study abroad in the spring semester, what that means is that we suddenly have a space that we can't naturally fill because we can't just put a transfer student in there who may not want that mixed-gender space. So within the application, we basically tell students 
that we reserve the right to if if we need to. If you've got two females and one male in a mixed-gender apartment, we may need to remove the male and place them into a different apartment to make that a, sing- a single-gender space. Now, we do allow students to pull in a friend instead if, if they want. And for the most part, that's what happens. I don't think we've had to actually institute that rule at all this year. We just want to make sure students know that they have to keep the apartment full. Um, you know, So if someone leaves, make sure you bring in a friend. It really hasn't been a, pro- a problem at all. It's, it's just kind of worked out well. We haven't had any, any issues conduct-wise or anything else. Um, I think when they announced it, it was all over the news, and it hit the national news. I had somebody call me saying that Reed just told them that morning that, you know, Rutgers was going gender-neutral completely. and it was, it was a rough couple days while it kind of hit the news, and then it kind of calmed down. And now, you know, we're at the point where it just, it just kind of is. It's been accepted, and students do it, and it hasn't been a problem at all. So I know that in the downtown sort of-ish New Brunswick area, there's been a new type of apartment complex high-rise called The View. And I was wondering if Rutgers ever thought about doing housing with The View because it seems like it's very expensive to get housing there regardless who whoever you are because it just looks really nice and expensive. But I was just wondering if Rutgers ever thought about doing housing there since it is a really nice location. It's about a block away from Easton, but it's right there for the train station. So it's actually a nice location. It is, and the the, the view, as far as I know, was built by DevCo, which is, I think stands for the New, the New Brunswick Development Corporation. They were actually the company that built Rockoff Hall, and they owned that hall up until about a week ago. So we do have a relationship with uh, DevCo, the people that built that building. I don't think their intention when they built that was to build it for students. Um, they seemed to, when they constructed the building, have a different clientele in mind, if you will. I think they were kind of going for young professionals trying to work in New York City who can pay a lot for an apartment, and uh, you know, but have the convenience of having a downtown area next to a train station. So I, I don't think they necessarily had students in mind when they built the building, if you will. So I... I as far as I know, there was never talks to put students in there. I, I don't really know what happens behind the scenes, but um, from what I can tell, that was not the intention of the building. You know, obviously we have worked with DEFCO on student housing in the past, and that, that might continue in the future, uh, but that project, no. I know there's also a new building that just went up next to Rockoff Hall um, that, I'll be honest, I don't know anything about at all. I don't think that one is intended for students either. And I'm not sure who, who built that one or who, who owns or manages it, but I haven't heard that that's student housing. I think they're kind of more targeting, uh, you know, family housing in there. I know that Easton Ave Apartments just recently got the swipes to go to the elevator. And before there weren't swipes there to just to go to the elevator, you had to swipe in just to get into the building itself. But now you have to have a swipe to get to the elevators just to go to your room. So I was wondering how that came about or is that going to be implicated throughout the whole university that you have to have a swipe to get in and also to get on the elevator to get to your floor? I'll be honest, I didn't even know that. You're telling me new things. I, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, you know, I'm not always in the know about that kind of stuff. Um, so, I mean... 
I think in a building like that, it's a good idea just based on the location. Being in that more downtown area, uh, you, you'll, you'll have a lot of people that are hanging out out front. They're going to get into the lobby. So it makes sense to kind of have that extra layer of security. I know in Rockoff Hall, they have that same kind of security layer right by the elevator. So you swipe into the hall, and then you have to swipe into the elevator as well. Um, so Rockoff has a similar thing. I, I haven't heard of any plans to implement that anywhere else or any other buildings that would need it. So... I'm going to probably say no, um, that that's probably not needed in any other other buildings. But I think it is a really good security layer for that building to have, you know, based on that more downtown location, which gets a little bit more activity. You know, you've got the bars there, people kind of walking around after they get out of the bars at 2 in the morning. So, I, you know, it's definitely not a, not a bad thing, thing to have. So I know we've covered a lot of information, and I want to know what students could do to better their chances of getting housing for the next year since the housing process already started or where they should find information to help them get what they want or be better prepared for the following year. Sure. I think the important thing is keep your options open. Uh, don't be set on one single single area. You know, don't be set on just the Bush campus. You know, go for the Cook campus as well. It's a great place to live. You know, Rockoff Hall again, great place. Um, you know, just keep your options open. I think that's the most important things for students to realize. You know, we get a lot of students where after the Bush apartment eligibility is released, they say, "Oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. I didn't apply for the Cook apartments." Well, apply for the Cook apartments now. Doesn't doesn't hurt at all. If you're looking for more information, we have a lot of places you can go. We have our webpage, which is ruoncampus.rutgers.edu slash lottery. Um, so that has all the lottery information. You can get all the dates. There's actually a calendar right there, which I would encourage you to print out, hang on your wall. You can actually follow along with the entire process. So make sure you check us out there. We are on social media now. We have a whole social media team, which is the Res Knights, or Residence Knights. So R-E-S-K-N-I-G-H-T-S, Res Knights. Uh, that's on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, you know, we'll see a lot of students there that are looking for roommates. They're looking for one more senior to fill their thing, uh, their their group. Um, you know, students ask us questions about, about the lottery process, and we do answer them. I'm on there every single night. I'll answer questions at 2 in the morning. It's not a problem. So make sure you check us out there. Uh, we do also have the Rutgers Roommate Gateway, which is a service that we have to allow students to maybe find a roommate if they're having trouble finding someone. They can go on there to find a roommate. And that website is rutgers.roommategateway.com. Well, thank you. I think, I think we've really covered everything. Unless there's something else that students should know. Is there anything else? I don't think so. Just make sure you read up on the process, and I'd say, you know, print out the calendar and follow along. Other than that, best of luck, and we hope you find a place that works for you. This is Core the Matter, the public affairs forum of 90.3 The Core, where we discuss issues that are important to Rutgers and the Piscataway community. I'm Chelsea Carter. This week on Core of the Matter, we have been talking about housing and the lottery application and residence life with Benjamin Gilb, who is the Assistant Director for Housing and Residence Life Administration. If you have any questions or comments about Core of the Matter, or if you'd like to suggest a topic for a future episode, you can email us at publicaffairsdirector at thecore.fm. Tune in next Tuesday at 7 p.m. for another episode of Core of the Matter.
You've been listening to The Core of the Matter on 90.3 The Core. Opinions expressed on The Core of the Matter are those of the participants only and not necessarily those of WVPHFM or Rutgers University.